0: So people of God in Christ, as we continue through Romans 5, we come to a passage that answers an important question. People have questions. We have questions. Uh, It's the evidence of man made in the image of God that we have questions. Uh, Llamas are really cool, but uh, they don't have questions. Uh, Eagles soar in the sky, but they don't have questions. So the first question that you and I ought to uh, ask ourselves is, why do we have questions? Uh, it's one of the. It, it's kind of like uh, uh, the philosopher Descartes, who who uh, asked, uh, "How do I know that I I really exist?" Philosophers ask those kind of questions, and uh, his answer was, "Well, I think, therefore I am." So just by thinking, by asking the question, the answer is given. Uh, In a similar kind of way, people can ask questions, but by asking questions, they answer at least some of their own questions. So here's the question, why is there evil in this world? And the related question really should be, uh, uh, perhaps you recognize it as a question within your own soul, The, the related question is, why am I a sinner in this world? And there are various answers. Uh, well, nobody's perfect. Uh, we all make mistakes. Case uh, sera sera, um, or uh, it's an imperfect world. It just is. Uh, once again, we all we all make mistakes. Uh, a third answer is, is that uh, evolution is is not perfect, but uh, but it's reaching forward uh, to perfection. Eventually, we'll get there. The problem, of course, is that. Uh, uh, Even if that's true, which it's not of course, but uh, uh, even if it's true that we'll get there, you and I won't be around to even uh, experience it. It might be uh, a million years off yet. So we're just pawns uh, sacrificed early in the game so that someone else uh, somewhere in the future can achieve the greater victory later in the game. So, so... Take your magnanimous place in the, in the lower ranks of, of evolution so that someone else uh, can experience the eventual utopia that is sure to come, so they think. Well, there is a better answer, and uh, we all know that. Uh, why is there evil in the world? And The answer is that which the Bible gives. Evil came in through one man. Uh, by way of, uh, of uh, the serpent, uh, the serpent's temptation. Uh, evil came uh, through one man by way of the sin of our, of our first parents. Uh, people don't like that answer. Uh, no, no, that can't be. Uh, and why do they say no? Well, because it doesn't fit with human self-dignity. It, it, it doesn't reserve uh, our pride through individualism, and uh, claiming uh, the status of a victim. Uh, in other words, we, we want to be individuals in this world. And granted, we are individuals, each with a personal autonomy. Uh, that can't be denied. But we also belong to a common race. Uh, there is a huge irony in, in how racism is considered as as uh, as as it certainly is a, a great sin in our culture, um, uh, but we are all of one race, the human race, if you will, and and yet there are few who who want to acknowledge their connection to and their identity with the common race of humanity. Secondly, we all want to be victims. We want someone else to be responsible for our problems and for the problems of the world. We're on the good side. We, we're simply victims of what others have done wrong. And perhaps you recognize this in, in the way people blame their parents or blame society or blame their employer for whatever ails them. The temptation is before us to blame someone else. But if we ask the question, why is there evil in the world? Especially if we ask the question of God Himself, God surely answers, You tell me, O sinner, why there is evil in this world. It's a question to be asked and asked of those who are sinners Why are you a sinner? And it is true that the actions, and in this case uh, specifically the unjust actions of others, have an effect upon us. Sometimes we are victims. But are we therefore exonerated as, uh, as soon as we become a victim? Uh, are we therefore purely a victim? Uh, there is an old adage, it is uh, perhaps uh, most often associated with strife within marriage, but it's the, uh, the saying, there are always two sides to every story. He did this, she, she did that, and even if it's all true, if, if all accusations are true, he said, she said, uh, now what? Nobody, absolutely nobody, is a pure victim in this world. We all contribute to the world's conflict, we all participate in the strife and the suffering of this present evil age. The doctrine, the teaching of God's Word that we are getting at here is original sin. And this is the first point of uh, this sermon, original sin, because as we come to Romans 5, verse 12, we, we come to these words, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, if Paul had had an editor, or even worse, an English teacher, um, evaluating his writing, he uh, he would lose points here, uh, because it's a it's a sentence fragment. Uh, he doesn't finish his sentence. Therefore, just as sin came into the world. Uh, Uh, Through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. He will complete his sentence in in due time, in fact, in in verse 18. But in the meantime, he, he has made a point that needs to be heard. Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. First, sin came into the world. This is important for remembering that God did not create a world where sin was present. This keeps us from saying, well, nobody is perfect, as if nobody should be expected to ever be perfect. The teaching of God's Word is that God is not the author of sin. He did not create man as an imperfect creature, In fact, it's worth arguing that man was the only creature created by God who was created perfect. Our confessions summarize the teaching of God's Word, Westminster Larger Catechism, uh, question and answer 17, that God created man after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, having the law of God written in their hearts and power. fulfill it. So first, we we need to hear the truth that sin came into the world. Further, sin came into the world through one man. This is where the doctrine of original sin becomes uh, what I would argue is the most difficult teaching of God's Word. The most difficult teaching of God's word is that you became a sinner by way of your father's sin. He became a sinner. He made the choice for himself and for you long before you ever existed. How can that be fair? How many people have have said wait what i uh, i wasn't there i i i didn't have the choice to disobey why am i held responsible for what father adam and mother eve did it's not a bad question it's it's just that we don't like the answer the answer is that adam was our father each of us were were each of us was in him Quite literally, in him, when he sinned and became a sinner. Understandably, it it offends our sense of individuality. And again, we are individuals. Your sins are not my sins, and mercy of mercies, my sins are not your sins. But we are also, all of us, members of mankind, Father Adam was our father, our head, uh, our paterfamilias, uh, so that God himself is not interested in entertaining our excuses and our claims to individuality. If we aren't convinced, and notice that I said uh, convinced and not convicted, because the first thing that needs to happen is we become convinced that this is indeed what God is teaching in his word. But the next step is to be convicted, to be convinced to the point of pleading guilty before God as the judge. But if we aren't convinced, then then we need to hear the rest of verse 12. It's, it's, uh, It's one of the most pregnant verses of all Scripture. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all... Send. The verb tense is important there. It doesn't say that sin came into the world through one man so that all would sin, but that all did sin when the one man sinned. Again, we were, we were in him. In, in a very re, real sense, we were him. Uh, we were Adam, and we are Adam even today, this is the teaching of God's Word, whether we like it or not. It, it cannot be denied that we are individuals, but we are mankind, or if you like, we are humanity. So here's the reason, here's the reason to like this teaching, and even to love it. We want to be individuals, and individuals only, with no connection to any other human being. Some might want to have no connection even to their parents, and maybe for good reason. But we can't do that. We, we are all born of another. We are all begotten. Uh, but the teaching of the Apostle Paul is that salvation comes to us in the same way that sin comes to us. Sin comes to us as we are begotten of Adam. Salvation becomes ours. Salvation comes to us as we are begotten of Christ. So go ahead and claim your individuality and refuse the the teaching of God's word that you were in Adam when he sinned. But then you lose the opportunity to know with great joy that you were in Christ when he obeyed you can't have it both ways either you must claim that you were not in Adam when he sinned and not in Christ when he obeyed or you were in Adam when he sinned and you were in Christ when he obeyed it is a point where we we need to let god's word define our reality Sin is so real and so pervasive that that we are capable of denying what is abundantly true, that we are all one. We are one mankind. We watch news and we want to deny it because uh, I'm not the one who robbed the bank. I'm not the, the drug dealer. I'm not the abortionist. I'm not the thief. And yet it is true. But by the grace of God go I. When we see what man does, we we see what we are. I know that's painful, that's injurious to our pride, that when we see what man does in sin, so we see what we are. This is the teaching of God's Word, and yet here is the reason to accept it, to let this teaching shape our understanding of reality itself, is that Christ is... Is to us as Adam is to us; as we are in Adam to our condemnation, so we are in Christ to our justification, to our salvation. This is the ultimate point of of Paul, as he writes on. But he pauses first to explain now the law of God. So the second point before we. Get to the glorious third point. Uh, the second point is the law's conviction, and this must be uh, a pretty important point because it's the point that that leads Paul to write a sentence fragment. <laughs> In the middle of his point, he stops to clarify something. Uh, Sin came into the world through one man, Adam sinned, and so all sinned and all became sinners, even though we hadn't even been born yet. That hurts. That's hard. And yet, that's the teaching of God's Word, and that must be our reality, or our understanding of realities. But, but here's the objection that Paul is anticipating. How can there be sin when there is no law? The answer is that the law of God, let's just say the Ten Commandments, God's law was given in order to count sin. You have heard it before that the law of God is a teacher of sin. The law of God brings conviction for sin. In Romans 3, verse 20, Paul has already written, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's all the law can do for us, at least to start. Hang the Ten Commandments on the wall in your house. Post them on the refrigerator. But as you do so, make sure that, that you walk by once in a while and, and, and remember I, that law is telling me I'm in big trouble with a holy God because through the law comes knowledge of sin. Or as Paul puts it now in Romans 5.13, Sin is not counted where there is no law. There is a kind of cycle throughout this passage that Paul uh, continues to cycle through, I guess. Um, and, and, it, and so this teaching comes around again in, in verse 20. In verse 20, he goes so far as to say, Now the law came, came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So we, we love hearing the second part of that, but don't miss the first part. The law came to increase the trespass. And, and, and how does that happen? And I think simp- it first simply means the same thing as, as counting sin. sin. Sin is often not noticed. As Psalm 19 says, Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults? David here acknowledges that that when sin goes unnoticed, we are still guilty, which points out that sin is not sin only when we feel the shame of sin. We We may or may not feel shame for sin, but even if we don't, we still bear the guilt of our sin. And so David goes even further in Psalm 139 to pray, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. I think some versions say, put me on trial. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. But the point is that sin did not begin with the law. Sin began with Adam. Adam. Long before, the, uh, long before there was a written law. And it's really an obvious point. Uh, Adam didn't ascend Mount Sinai, and yet Adam sinned. Uh, Cain did not receive the law at Mount Sinai, and yet Cain killed his brother. Uh, Noah did not take the, the two tablets of stone on the ark, and yet Noah was a sinner. And on and on it goes between the fall of man and Mount Sinai. So that the the giving of the law was not the beginning of sin, but the beginning of this important ministry of pointing sin out. And counting sin and identifying sin. So in one passage, we really get the teaching of God's word about both original sin and what we call Actual sin. Original sin certainly includes the sin of our first parents, but it really refers to the effect of their sin upon all of their offspring. Original sin refers to the state of sin uh, or or the condition of sin, even the, the sin nature of all human beings. The term actual sin is perhaps easier to understand. It refers to the things we do wrong. As the larger catechism says, question and answer 24, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of any law of God given as a rule to the reasonable creature. So original sin and actual sin. Only let it be clear that original sin doesn't refer only to the first sin and that actual sins don't make us sinners. In other words, We don't sin in order to become sinners. We sin because we are sinners. As King David wrote in Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And so the last point is the second Adam. At the end of verse 14, Paul refers to Adam in the beginning as a type of the one who was to come. He seems to be saying that, that even from the beginning, Adam was only a type, that, that there was already the plan for the antitype, the one who would fulfill the type. But there is a big difference between the type, Adam, and Christ as the antitype, the one who was to come. And the difference is that sin came into the world through Adam. Salvation came through Christ. In verse sixteen, the judgment followed one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. And so there's this, uh, this further difference that sin brought death, but salvation comes through Christ. So thanks be to God for Christ as the second Adam. There's a phrase in this passage that is worth noting, very much worth noting. First, because Paul uses it five times. And uh, and also because it emphasizes our salvation in Christ. It's the phrase, the free gift. In verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. Again in 15, the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ. We hear it twice more in verse 16 and Again, in verse seventeen, and it really is striking because uh, aren't gifts always free? Uh, isn't that the very definition of a gift that is free? But surely it's Paul's way of of celebrating the message of salvation that he is that he is teaching here. It's it's the free gift, the free gift, the free gift, exclaims Paul. Kind of reminds me of, uh, of uh, what Matthew writes about the wise men coming to worship Jesus. He says, uh, "When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy." They didn't just rejoice; they joyfully rejoiced. And it's the same kind of thing that we hear from Paul in Philippians three: "Rejoice in the Lord always." Again, I will say, rejoice. And why should we rejoice in Christ and in our salvation? Because it's a free gift. If we are believers in Christ, it's because Christ has given us new birth. Isaiah 53 even says, When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. Yes, we are the offspring of Adam and inherit sin from him but we are the offspring of Christ and inherit a righteousness from him. It's not just a gift. It's the free gift of righteousness and salvation. So let's not forget <clears throat> what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. He said, you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom. And as we, ha- as we have entered now by faith, We think Nicodemus eventually arrived at faith, was brought to faith. And as we have entered the kingdom by faith, let us know that it's because we have been born again. Christ himself has given us the new birth that we might believe and and receive by faith his righteousness for our salvation. And let's not be like the the rich young ruler who, who asked Jesus, what must I do To inherit eternal life. When an inheritance is possessed, not by doing, but by being born. So God's word speaks of the gospel in a number number of ways. Uh, The gospel of God, uh, we saw that at the start of Romans. Uh, The gospel of Jesus Christ, um, the gospel of salvation, But while we don't actually hear the words, the gospel of Adam, that's what we learn in Romans 5. Only let this be clear, that it's the second Adam. It's the man, Jesus Christ, who gives us new birth and makes us the heirs of all that he has done, of all that he has achieved of all that he now possesses for our salvation. When the parents are rich, the children share in the wealth. And Christ has brought us to be a part of his house and to live forever within his kingdom of blessing. Amen. Please pray with me. How glorious it is to hear more of our salvation and to know how how final we are and how free is the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, give us this grand assurance and give us such a great joy that we would uh, go forth into this week to live Joyfully, exceedingly joyful uh, for Christ and uh, for His honor and glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.